Take your Bibles, please, and meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week, we turned to this chapter to consider just some of what the Bible teaches in the area of giving, uh, financial giving. We did so not because we're in dire straits financially. We're not, although church giving is down by a wide margin thus far this year. But we did so because if we're going to be intentional to help fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment, then we must also be intentional in our giving. The plain truth is that fulfilling... Uh, Our purpose as a church requires investing financially in the church. And I shared this last week. to, To just say it simply, ministry requires money. And it's been that way from the days of the early church to the church today, even as 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 allude. And so here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth... And he's encouraging the believers there to give. And to give generously. Paul is organizing a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And he alerts the Corinthians that he is sending uh, Titus and some others to them to help prepare their contribution. He's giving them a heads up, and he's also stirring them toward generosity. And so he tells them in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, that he's been boasting about them to the Macedonians, uh, to the Macedonian churches, and he therefore expects them, the Corinthians, to make the most of this opportunity as the Macedonians did. Well, this didn't come as a surprise to the Corinthians. Uh, Apparently, they had already expressed their eagerness to give because Paul says to them in verse 2 of chapter 9 that he is aware of their readiness and their zeal. And so I love the fact that Paul believes the Corinthians. Believes in the Corinthians. And exhorts the Corinthians to live up to their desire their potential, and their reputation to be who they want to be, to stretch themselves and to serve in His example for others. And then Paul says, he mentions this in verse 5, almost in passing, but I I think there's just a significant point to it. He mentions that If the Macedonians were to learn that the Corinthians weren't ready, if they weren't willing, if they weren't generous, he says, imagine the embarrassment to everyone involved. Embarrassment because the Macedonians, though though they were under severe affliction and suffering extreme poverty, they gave eagerly above and beyond expectations. They even begged Paul for the opportunity 
to give. Paul, let us take part in this. We know we're suffering affliction. We know we're, we're poor, but we want to give. Let us take part. And so Paul says, imagine the embarrassment if these folks who were so willing, yet so poor, were to learn that you weren't willing and eager and generous. So Paul has been bragging on the Corinthians to the Macedonians and bragging on the Macedonians to the Corinthians so that each would essentially encourage the other to give generously to the church in Jerusalem. And what we find in verses 6 through 15 of chapter 9 which was our passage last week, and it's again our passage today, we find tremendous teaching on giving that is rich in theology and practical application. And remember, the guiding thought, my guiding thought here is this, that God's abundant grace toward us enables us to be abundantly gracious givers. God's abundant grace toward us enables us to be abundantly gracious givers. And so I want to read it together again with you. Chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. In most churches, giving is often assumed but rarely discussed. 
Each week we take the offering and almost always we pray for the offering, but rarely do we talk about the offering and why giving is important both to the church and to those who give. So why give? And why give generously? These are the questions it seems that Paul anticipates here. Why give? And why give generously? And in, verse, in these verses we've just read, he provides some helpful answers, some solid reasons why we should give and why we should give generously. And as I said last week, I, send t- I see 10 reasons from these 10 verses, and I've titled these messages, The Grace to Give Generously, because all 10 reasons are motivated by God's grace, empowered by God's grace, and reflective of God's grace. The first five were these. The first five reasons, which we considered last week, were these. We give generously because you reap to the degree that you sow. We see that in verse 6. Give generously because it is an expression of your heart before God. That's the first half of verse 7. Give generously because God loves it when you do. That's the second half of verse 7. Give generously because God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's verse 8. And then fifth and finally from last week, give generously because God's grace is meant to be shared. And we see that in in the last half of verse 8 and verse 9. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, you may want to pick up a recording or listen online so that you can better understand the totality of what God is teaching here. But for now, let's just continue with reasons 6 through 10. Remember, we're trying to answer the questions. I think Paul is answering the questions, why give and why give generously? So reason number six. Give generously because it brings a harvest of righteousness. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is bringing everything together and he returns to the theme of sowing and reaping that he introduced in verse 6, but this time he takes it a step further by clarifying who actually supplies the seed and what kind of harvest is actually reaped. God supplies. God is our provider, meaning that whatever we have, has been given to us by God. Listen, we will never be generous givers if we do not truly believe that God will provide for our needs. God supplies, then multiplies the seed. And He supplies and multiplies, notice, for the purpose of sowing. In other words, God doesn't intend that we hoard the seed, but that we sow the seed. 
for only when we sow it do we reap a harvest. What kind of harvest? Well, maybe, maybe you'll reap more material blessing. That wouldn't be surprising. It makes sense that God would bring generous resources to generous people simply because He knows those people will give those resources where God wants them to go. But if not more material things, that's okay because material blessings are secondary anyway. Mostly, God intends to bring a spiritual increase what he says here, a harvest of righteousness. Which means that there's a direct correlation between your giving and your growth in grace. The more you sow materially, the more you reap spiritually. And not only this, but as we grow in grace, we become vessels of grace for others. I think this is the point of verse 11 where it says, You will be rich in every way to be generous in every way. In other words, God will grace you so that you can grace others who, upon receiving God's grace through you, will be more likely to dispense even more grace to even more people. So what's happening here is this, this chain reaction of giving or a cycle of generosity where everyone is growing in the grace of God. The more people who recognize, receive, and redistribute God's grace, the greater your harvest of righteousness. God Himself brings the increase first to you, then through you to others. And let me just say, if we truly understand this, wouldn't we all want to be in on it? You can understand why the Macedonians were begging for the opportunity. However, that doesn't mean that it won't be hard. It may very well be hard. This farming language of sowing and reaping is helpful, I think, because farming is hard work. I think giving can be hard especially at first. It means working hard so that you have something to give. It means making hard decisions. It means making necessary preparations. It means getting a handle on your budget. It means being intentional. Generosity doesn't just happen. We have to work at it. Nonetheless, Paul says, give generously because it brings a harvest of righteousness. Number seven, 
Give generously because it produces thankfulness to God. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, verse 11, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The Corinthians' gift to the church in Jerusalem, which Paul and his team was to personally deliver, would cause the believers in Jerusalem to overflow in thanksgiving to God. Paul is therefore connecting generosity to thankfulness, the generosity of the church in Corinth, to the thankfulness of the church in Jerusalem. Thankfulness is vital on any discussion, or it's vital to any discussion on giving. I don't think we, we, we don't want to pass by this. Paul urges the Corinthian believers toward generosity because it will urge the Jerusalem believers toward thankfulness. You've heard it said that it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Could it be that one reason for this is because generosity is not how it profits you, but what it produces in another? When we give... And give generously where we exercise thankfulness and we inspire thankfulness in others. And let me just say, as I said last week, being a generous giver really has very little to do with the actual amount. It's, it's not about giving a large amount necessarily, but about the amount given in proportion to what you have available to give. So in other words, one person's gift of a dollar may be more generous than another person's gift of a thousand dollars. Because the one giving a dollar is giving a larger proportion of what they have available. That's the story. That's the essence of the widow's might. In fact, if you've ever received a gift, certainly you have. If you've ever received a gift from someone you know doesn't have much to give, what effect does that have on you? I mean, that just inspires tremendous thankfulness, humility. And I think in a sense, that's what Paul is getting at here. Give generously because it produces thankfulness to God. Number eight. <laughs> Give generously because it testifies to your faith in the gospel. Verse 13 says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
Generous giving enriches the giver, inspires thankfulness in the receiver, and glorifies God through the many expressions of faith. The Jerusalem believers, as well as any others who heard of the Corinthians' generosity, they would praise God for the validity and vigor of the Corinthians' faith. That's what's being said here. In other words, the Corinthians' generosity would testify to the Corinthians' acceptance and application of the gospel. And it seems that the Jerusalem believers would overflow in thankful praise for two reasons. One was the gift itself, which we've already considered, that brings material benefit. The other was the Corinthians' submission to the gospel. So the the Jerusalem believers are overflowing in praise to God because of the Corinthians' submission to the gospel. The glory being offered to God here in verse 13, notice then, is less about the Corinthians' money and more about their faith. I think that's really, really important to notice. The Corinthians' testimony of faith or faithful giving in this instance would encourage the believers to greater faith. That's what testimonies do, right? When we hear of what God is doing in another person's life, we're encouraged about what God is doing in our life. Their faith strengthens our faith. It's kind of like this story that I read this week in Leadership Journal. It's just a brief, brief story of faithfulness and of one woman's testimony of faith And I'm encouraged in my faith. I want to share it with you for the encouragement of your faith. It's a story told by a pastor. His name's Eric Holstrand. Very, very brief. He says, uh, one Sunday while I was preaching, I can relate with this because this has actually happened here. One Sunday while I was preaching, an elderly woman, her name was Mary, she fainted and struck her head on the pew. And she knocked herself out. Some of you have been here when that's happened here. And so immediately an EMT in the congregation, he says, called an ambulance and they came and they strapped her to a stretcher and they got ready to head out the door when Mary came too. And so she's there laid out on the stretcher, you know, kind of a crowd of people around her, other people praying, And so she motions for her daughter to come near. And everyone thought, I can picture this, everyone thought that she was kind of summoning the strength to kind of convey her last words. And so the pastor says, so her daughter came near, leaned over her ear, and and put her ear, or leaned over her mother, put her ear to her mother's mouth, and her mother whispered, and I love this, my offerings in my purse. (laughs) My offerings in my purse. 
That's a great example of faithful giving. That's a great testimony to faith in the gospel. To place faith in the gospel is to trust God with your life and your eternal destiny. And so if we can trust God with our lives and our eternal destinies, can we not also trust him with our money? Give generously, Paul says, because it testifies to your faith in the gospel. Number nine, give generously because it unites believers in service. I love this. Verse 13 begins, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. He's talking about the church in Jerusalem. By their approval of your service, they will glorify God. And then skip down to verse 14. While they, the church in Jerusalem, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And so here's what's happening. It's really, really beautiful. The Jerusalem believers would would receive material blessing from the from Corinthian generosity and the Corinthian believers would receive spiritual blessing from Jerusalem generosity it's a beautiful picture of unity in the church as gentile believers imagine this gentile believers gave to their jewish brothers and sisters and jewish believers Prayed and longed for their Gentile brothers and sisters. Now, if you know anything about the culture of that day, that was countercultural. That is a testimony to faith in the gospel, to the unity of the church. Tremendous example of Christian believers being united together through their service to one another. And this sense of being united together through their service to one another, through their giving. Isn't that what we read about the first church as described in Acts 2? We, we read these verses in Acts 2, 44 and 45. And all who believed, all were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, their belongings. And they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In other words, they were looking out for each other. And as the church spread out from Jerusalem into other uh, regions, as these local churches were popping up in various areas, uh, they continued to serve each other, both materially and spiritually. The point is that giving is a means of unity in the church. You bless others in the church through your service, which in this case is giving, and others bless you through their service, which in this instance is prayer. Give generously because it unites believers in service. And then number 10, 
This is really the, the grand reason of them all. Give generously because God is inexpressibly generous. Give generously because God is inexpressibly generous. The passage ends with doxology. All that Paul has said with regard to generous giving beginning in chapter 8, continuing through chapter 9, it culminates in this verse, verse 15, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. This is the reason behind every reason. This is the point of all points. This is a game changer. All this teaching on generosity and generous giving occurs within the framework of what God has given. Paul isn't trying to shake down the Corinthians or guilt them into giving. Not at all. Quite the opposite, actually. He's reminding them of what God has done and who they are by the grace of God. They are recipients of God's inexpressible, indescribable gift. Paul began his teaching in much the same way, pointing in chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For, for you know, Corinthians, you know, you know the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul is pointing us really to the gift of salvation or even more to the Savior himself. Jesus Christ, who is rich beyond measure, became poor for your sake. He was rich in heavenly splendor, perfectly content, majestic in glory, and yet because you were lost in your sins and under sin's consequence of death and damnation, Jesus willingly set aside His divine riches to enter your plight as a human being, just like you, yet without sin. He exchanged His riches for your rags, not only in His birth and throughout His earthly life, but culminating in His death. On the cross, your sins, utterly repugnant and repulsive, were transferred onto Him who is utterly and infinitely glorious. On the cross... He bore your sins and even became sins, sin, so that, so that when He gave His life and died, His death served as a substitutionary atonement for sin. Meaning that God in Christ graciously did for us what we could never do 
ourselves. Namely, provide full salvation for any and all who place their faith in Him. Your filthy rags today have been effectively replaced by the righteousness of Christ, our Savior. God held nothing back, but even gave His only beloved Son so that you would not perish in your sins, but instead prosper in His grace. You who were once desperately poor have become immeasurably rich. That, my friends, is an inexpressible gift. Let that inspire your giving. It's not surprising that this section ends in worship. That really is the heart of the matter because great or giving is not really a finance issue. It's a worship issue. We've been talking here in the church lately about upward and outward and inward priorities. Giving is upward. Certainly there are outward and inward effects, but it's primarily upward. It's loving response to God who first loved you. It is willful, worshipful response to the one who willingly gave his son for you. Give generously because God is inexpressibly generous. So what does this mean for us here at East Parkway? I think it means just that. That we give as an expression of the great commandment for the fulfillment of the great commission. That we give and love for God as we go out into the world to make disciples in His name. That we give to glorify God and to further the work of His glorious gospel. When you and I give to the church, we are worshiping God and we're participating in the gospel of Christ. Sharing together in reaching people for Christ and then building them up, building each other up in Christ. And one day... We will gather around the throne of God with men, women, children from all over the world throughout history, the great company of the redeemed whose number no one can count, and we will declare that salvation belongs to the Lord our God and to the Lamb who sits upon the throne. Our entire ministry, dear East Parkway, our entire ministry and existence as a church aims in that direction. So I want to challenge you. Let me gear down a little bit. I want to challenge you. Obviously, God has led you here to East Parkway Church. Some have been here for many, many years. Some are, are relatively new or newer. But either way, if you believe that God has called you here, 
And if you consider this to be your home church, and if you have benefited from our ministry here, then I want to encourage you to participate in the ministry. And specifically, or in particular, in light of God's word to us last week and today, to participate in the area of giving. I want to encourage you toward this end so that with God's help and by God's grace, we can develop, resource, expand our ministry in its upward, outward, and inward effects. I'll say it again. Fulfilling our purpose as a church requires investing financially in the church. Let me also add that giving is for believers of all ages. And so maybe I'm speaking to some young people here or maybe I'm speaking to parents like myself who can encourage their children. One of my core Beliefs when it comes to youth ministry, and if you've been here for a while, you know this. One of my core beliefs is that the youth, the youth are not just the church of tomorrow, but the church of today as well. In other words, young people, you don't have to wait for some magical moment to be part of big church. If you are a child of God, if you have been converted to Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you are a welcomed member of the church right now to participate in the church life and ministry, including giving. So as a congregation of believers, young and old and in between, I just want to encourage you and me, let's not neglect our giving. And then I want to say as kind of a quick parenthetical statement, let's not neglect our summer giving. Summer is so brutal for most churches financially. Everybody's away and out, vacation, coming and going and in and out and Let's be intentional givers, faithful, consistent, sacrificial, generous. Let's be worshipful givers, gospel-centered or, or God-centered, gospel-driven, giving that's motivated by God's grace, empowered by God's grace, reflective of God's grace. Ten reasons from these ten verses as to why we should give and give generously. Make no mistake, God's abundant grace toward us indeed enables us to be abundantly gracious givers. Amen. Father, 
Oh my goodness, you have been abundantly gracious indeed. Help us, help me to respond to your inexpressible gift in worshipful, faithful, sacrificial, generous giving ourselves. For the good of your church, and for the glory of your name. Amen.